listening to My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. Each episode, we look at the topics that can make our working lives difficult and explore how you can take action to improve things. We want to help you move from simply surviving work to thriving at work. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of workplace psychologists who are experts in coaching, training, and structured development programs. You can find out more about how we help people grow and develop at work by visiting our website, worklifepsych.com. Hello and welcome to episode 63 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of accredited and experienced workplace psychologists. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon, the Managing Director of Work Life Psych, and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Pilar Orti. In this episode, Pilar and I think ahead. We've spent the last couple of episodes looking at the impact of the existing coronavirus pandemic. But this time we thought we'd turn our attention to the future. What are the things that we'd like to see the back of? What are the things that have really made themselves apparent during this lockdown period that we'd like to hold on to? Maybe not predictions, but some hopes for the future. As ever, the show notes and all our other episodes can be found at worklifepsych.com slash podcast. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at mypocketpsych or via the contact form on our website. Please do get in touch with your feedback and your suggestions for future episodes. Hey, Pilar, nice to be in touch with you again. How are things? Yes, I am very well and delighted to be here and with the listeners, of course. It is nice to be recording again, doing something um, that we're very used to doing. Yes. And not too out of the ordinary. So that's quite nice. That's comforting. (laughs) So this is um, uh, us recording on Monday, the 11th of May. And I'm mentioning that these days, just in case you hear this episode um, out of context, far into the future, and you're wondering, why are we talking about this? We're, We're recording in the middle of a pandemic. So, you know, for the last couple of episodes, it's informed what we talked about. But I think this time around, we want to you know, maybe not see the the upside of a global pandemic, but maybe talk about the world of work and what might come out of this. And I think there will be some positives that may come out of this and maybe an opportunity to leave some of our less favorite work practices behind. What do you think? I Yes, I'm crossing my fingers a lot. <laughs> I think it's interesting at the moment, people in different countries are already talking about going back to work and the changes that will be needed in the physical workspace. You know, the emphasis is on safe social distancing and, you know, maintaining that space between people so that they don't infect each other. Um, I'd like to see a lot more discussion about how, how we do work full stop may change in lots of different work environments because now we know we can. Yeah, and also there's a lot of talk of how are we going to go back? I mean, the the new normal is being banded a uh, a lot around, but I think a lot of the conversation is actually how do we go back to something that is as similar as possible to what we had before? And like you say, there's so much opportunity to change all that. So so we'll see. (laughs) It's really interesting. I don't think we're the only people thinking this way in that lots of people I'm working with at the moment can definitely see an upside to their working situation. Um, even if they don't enjoy being locked down, they can see the positives 
associated with working at home. Um, but at the same time, it's really shining a light on some assumptions or some uh, rules about work that I don't really think stand up to scrutiny anymore. Um, like certain things can only be done in the office and, um, you know, certain spaces are healthy and appropriate for large numbers of people. Mm-hmm. So w- why don't we start by having a look at maybe some of the more positive things, I'll, I'll put it that way, some of the more positive things we've seen that we really want to see stick around and continue um, after, let's say, after things calm down a bit, because I don't think we're going to see an end. What, what are we seeing an end of? But maybe once more people um, have returned to a, a, a rhythm of work, um, what is it that we want to see hang around? What What's front of mind for you? Um. Well, We've got, so one of the things that I was thinking of was, uh, is um, about mindfully spending time together. So what I mean by that is in the workplace, there's, well, I, I do hear a lot about too many meetings, etc. And certainly that has been one of the downsides of rushing to work from home is that many people have ended up doing loads of online meetings because that is the way we knew um, of doing things together. So mm-hmm. something that I'm hoping will change is that when we when we do say we're going into the office today or we have to be in the office because we have to be together, that we become more mindful of why that is and of what being together is helping us to do because I think that will help us to make the most out of being together. So I hope mm-hmm. that even if it's just the thinking around that, maybe maybe no one will see anything change. But even if it's just starting to be a bit more mindful of why we need to be together or why we want to be together, that will be enough for me. I think that's really nice, that, that point about why we want to be together, because for some people that might be all the rationale they need. And for others, they might really need to be convinced as to why they need to gather people physically. And I think just that sense check of, well, why are we calling this physical meeting at all? You know, are you bored? (laughs) Are you lonely? Uh, Or is there an absolute benefit to us being together physically? Um, Something that can't be accomplished or accomplished as uh, efficiently um, if if we didn't do it face-to-face. Or even why do we have to be together in the same office? at the same time, even if, even if we're not meeting. So again, like you were saying, there's a lot of preconception that in order to be able to work together, we have to be sitting side by side, even if we're each getting on with our tasks. There will be some benefits to that, but do we know what they are? Uh, and are we making the most again out of that time? So any, and yeah, any kind of physical closeness, um, yeah, we can think about a bit more. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that that's a really good point, and and one of the things I I would like us uh, collectively in the workforce, um, especially those people who work out of offices, is maybe to to expand on that and say, well, maybe there could be more consideration for video conferencing um, instead of face to face meetings, especially those that require people to travel a distance, and especially those meetings where it maybe just is one meeting in a day, so that for some people they they spend less time traveling from location to location and more time doing, um, uh, you know, valuable work, just using a different medium to, to achieve those things. So I think there's a, a, a specific kind of professional who finds themselves either on trains or planes or, or in cars, just going from place to place to meet one or two people at each place that could be done a lot 
um, more cost effectively and probably sustainably and healthfully if um, video was used as a medium instead. Yeah, and I've also heard about, uh, so I would add to that, I've also heard people thinking that um, they can be used also to have more connection within organizations, the the online meetings. So someone will say, yeah, usually I wait to, to be in touch with these people who are in a different division to mine. And I wait for those two times that we have organized meetings or organized retreats a year. However, we could be connecting more often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we if we use these meetings for precisely the reason that you say. So I'd also like to see very mindful use of online meetings rather than always saying that we have to be face-to-face for more cross-collaboration within organizations. Mm-hmm. Mm, absolutely. And I think more people are, well, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Yes. More people are getting exposed to video conferencing technology right yeah. now. It's not always working well. And as I think we've we've discussed um, online or offline, I don't really remember, but they're, they're trying to replicate the office environment um, when they're not in the same place. And that just, I think, in part can lead to loads and loads of meetings um, that are being done over a different medium. And that's not really a great use of everyone's time or their attention. But I, th- I think, you know, people have been dropped into a situation with next to no planning or training or preparation. So we're not doing too badly mm. considering, but that doesn't mean we need to fumble on into the future. So I think something that, that many organizations will need to do is establish new communications norms and, you know, helping people make use of the different channels avail- available to them in the best possible way. So that our trigger finger isn't always placed over video conference. You know, I need to have a Zoom call when actually maybe you don't. And maybe they are used so that they retain their impact and they don't exhaust people. Because if you've had eight hours of Zoom meetings back to back, that's a hell of a day. And um, I don't think you'll finish your working day feeling enthused uh, by that. I think... um, I've seen, and I know it's not everywhere, Mm. and I I know it's not in all organizations, but I've seen a lot more understanding and a bit of patience for working parents, and I'd really like to see that continue. Um, No matter what the future brings, I think people have seen another side to their colleagues um, you know, literally with the video conferencing technology, because they see where they live and they maybe see members of their family in the background, or they're more aware of the limitations that home life has placed on availability or attention or even just peace and quiet. And by and large, I've seen people be quite human and patient about that. So I hope we don't return to a situation where people are expected to forget about that stuff and behave as if they don't have a family when they're at work. Mm. I I concur. I concur on that one. Mm. Uh, I think that's been really lovely to see that the, the there's been diversity also in how much people have welcomed others into their personal situation. And that's been quite nice that some people have been very happy to be open about what's happening around their homes. Uh, but and, and that's been, like you say, more accepting, um, more accepted even. And I think... Something that I'd quite like to see, which kind of builds from that, is um, more staggering of work hours so that people can actually build their 
work lives a bit more around their personal lives. So, mm. uh, I mean, I'm particularly thinking about also comfort in public transport. It would be nice to have more flexibility so that we don't have to be in, in, in overcrowded and, and misery hours that like, I think I'm going to call the rush hour. Mm-hmm. And I think that hopefully this this acceptance that okay we everyone does have lives and how we operate at work impacts our lives maybe that gives us a bit more flexibility into how we approach work as well i agree 100 percent, and i think it's one of those things that is possibly being challenged one of those assumptions that the working day needs to look a certain way and start time and finish time is inflexible when Right now, people are working all kinds of days, especially I've seen some innovative examples of working couples um, taking turns with childcare and almost adopting a shift pattern across the day so that one will start work really, really early and then hand over kind of mid-morning and then they'll take a lunch together and then they'll do two afternoon shifts and they're getting stuff done and they're, you know, ensuring that they're there for their kids and they're they're having family time, but they're definitely not doing a nine to five working day. And some of those examples that I've seen seem to be working really well. Now, it's all dependent on the culture of where you work and transparency around that and levels of trust, which, you know, are important in these contexts. But I think it comes back to if you can get the job done, does it matter what time of day you're actually focusing on it, as long as that's sort of healthy and sustainable? And, you know, do we need to know that you're at the keyboard if you are a you know, desk-based employee. Um, can we not just accommodate more of that family life um, if it doesn't have a, a significant impact on, on the job? And, I, and I'm something that's just close to my heart because I've been doing tons of it <laughs> has been remote learning and development. Um, I think a lot of the assumptions maybe that exist about, you know, Training and developing people involves getting a load of people together in a room and talking together. Well, well, we can't right now. And so that you need to be slightly innovative about that. And, and I've taken courses that maybe traditionally are a day in a room with people and split them up into, um, multi slot webinar type events. I've, I've done sort of hour long sessions that are open to an organization and people can drop in and, you know, you can get an, an enormous level of, of uh, interactivity and they're very convenient and they're low cost and they're suited to the context at the moment. So why would we then insist that people need to go back to a place to learn? So I'd, I'd encourage all of those um, L&D professionals listening to, you know, keep their minds open to the possibility of offering learning and development solutions um, in, a, in a more um, innovative way and emphasizing maybe that it can be done from anywhere before demanding that a whole team comes to a, a training venue for a day. And to follow on your note on innovative use of technology, I think that that is also where where this can where this, where we can grow within this. We've seen okay, we've got all these possibilities that we hadn't thought of before. What else is there? What else is there? Going back to our note on being flexible, what in what ways can we mix 
asynchronous ways of working, uh, of learning even, with the more synchronous? How can we provide informal ways of learning also online so that they're a bit more uh, time independent? So I think there's there's still a lot, there's still a lot that uh, organizations and, and like you say, and learning and development professionals can, can exploit rather than thinking, like you say, that the best learning is done everyone together in the same space on the same, um, at the same time. There's a challenge to that as well, um, though, that I'm aware of when, when many L&D professionals are trying to emphasize on the job learning rather than formal training. And, you know, while I'm supportive of that, if people are not co-located, they need to think about how they can do the on-the-job learning from colleagues um, that is uh, more ongoing and not sort of discrete events. And I wonder just how many people have continued their development journey and found support in that while they've worked at home. Um, I, I'd be interested to find out a little bit more about that. But the technology that's available to us and will continue to evolve opens up all kinds of possibilities when it comes to learning. So lots of those assumptions we had, I think, should uh, over time evaporate a little bit. And I think also if you look at... so. Some people have been joining new companies during the pandemic. Some people have started mm-hmm. new jobs. And I wonder how the onboarding has been done during those uh, during that time and what we can take forward with that. Because I think also um, someone, I mean, this has been a very, hopefully a very unusual experience, but it's not impossible that somebody joins a company and two weeks in, a family member gets really ill or whatever, or their partner gets another job and they have to move house or whatever. And so we, I think this this experience can give us that opportunity to think, okay, things will happen. And now we know that we can be a little bit more flexible and we can use technology in ways just to accommodate uh, that person. So I think that's, I, I hope that that stays, that mindset. Mm, absolutely. Lots of the sort of talent events or talent processes can be revisited now. And um, especially those kind of seasonal ones, like uh, onboarding graduates at the, the the start of a new year, whatever that time of the year is. But you know, th- there will be sort of phased um, onboarding happening later this year. I'll be really interested to find out how organisations are doing that. But I I know we both know there are organisations out there that have employees globally who are permanently working in their homes and will have been onboarded and received feedback and had an appraisal and been been involved in team events and always been in, in their home. So I think there are there's some good practice out there that organisations can learn from. They're not doing it for the first time. You know, this has been done uh, reasonably well in different places. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know why it's popping into my head right now, but I've seen a few social media posts over the last couple of weeks mentioning Doist, um, the firm that created the the task manager app to Doist, and they are they're, they're like that. They've they've um, staff located everywhere around the world. They don't have a central office, and they're frequently cited as a really good example of an innovative business that can keep going and not demand everyone come into an office and work asynchronously. asynchronously. So um, I might have a bit more of a look at them and see if there's anything we can learn from from how they do things. They are heavy advocates of asynchronous communication. And uh, I'll, I'll dig out, there's a blog post which has like the hierarchies of communication tools. Like <laughs> it's a very good blog post. Um, mm. and yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds good. We'll, we'll cover that next time then. That, oh. that sounds really good. Well, I think, you know, people are, are, um, as we say, adapting at the moment to, um, 
this disruption, but but some people are just uh, you know doing what they would have done in the office and realizing it doesn't work as well when you're not in the office. And so, what do you do instead? Well, unless someone is showing you how to work asynchronously or how to work independent of a physical space, that can be quite yeah. worrying and disempowering because it's a skill gap, isn't it? And you feel well, maybe unsupported or or a bit frustrated that you can't be as effective as you might have been in the office. I think we, we've seen um, some really nice uh, levels of interpersonal care for each other. Um, that that could be just employees spontaneously setting up WhatsApp groups to to continue the conversations and see how everyone's doing. I've seen some great examples of managers going the extra mile to make sure their their teams are supported and and are okay are are doing okay uh, from a, a health perspective and that kind of human connection. I think it's really important. And I would really hope to see that continue. Um, I hope we don't reach a point in the calendar when everyone goes, that's enough of that <laughs> nonsense. Let's go back to the way we were. But but I think, you know, when, when there's a crisis, it makes you think. And, uh, and I think some people have realized that in some organizations, you know, their, their colleagues are very dear to them and they want to make sure they're okay. And it's been really nice to see people make time for that connection, mm. which I think is really, really nice. So let's, let's keep going with that. Now we've got a note here and I've just spotted it. Sorry. <laughs> um, on the connection and disconnection series on your podcast, Pilar. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, this is a series that was planned at the end, uh, mid-2019 on connection and disconnection, and it is a collaboration between uh, the 21st Century Work Life podcast and uh, another company, Shield Geo. And it was all about connection and disconnection in remote teams. And of course, this is even more prevalent now uh, because more people have been away from each other. And I think it's more about how things are going to move forwards now because during the pandemic everyone's been very aware of that but I think as soon as some people start going back to the office as soon as we start to find a way that looks more like what we're used to however we probably with some people still working away from each other at certain times I think that this is going to be even more important that that people still feel like they're connected. So it's a really lovely series. Of course, you took part in it, uh, Richard. But it's lovely despite that. Yes, <laughs> despite it's, that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a re I mean, I have to say, um, two thumbs up uh, to the technical team. It's the most beautifully edited uh, podcast series I've listened to in a while. It's super professional and there's lovely links throughout. So it's well worth a listen. We'll, we'll put a link to those episodes in, in the uh, show notes. And I'd really encourage anyone with even a vague interest in the topic to have a listen. It's really good. Yeah, that's really good. And I think that what what uh, that series uh, shows and also what I think hopefully we've learned from this experience that we can take forward is that physical distance doesn't mean emotional distance. I think it's a little bit uh, uh, unfortunate that this two meter rule that that will keep us safe being apart from each other has been called social distancing instead of physical <laughs> distancing, because yeah. we we know now. I mean, some of us, uh, uh, Richard, who've been working in this space for ages, know that you can build emotional connections like, online, but many people didn't until now. And so mm. I think that that is really worth remembering for one, because then when you're away from your loved ones, you might not feel it as much. 
And also just from a work perspective, of course, it means that even though you're not co-located with your colleagues, you can still feel connected to them. So I, I hope that will stay. I really, I really do. And it, it may also help avoid that situation that can happen, which is sort of out of sight, out of mind. And the people who aren't in the office get left out or not communicated with mm. or unintentionally ignored. When, if you've built up those relationships using, um, the technology using these systems, then you won't forget them and you will utilize their skills and make them feel part of things. You know, we, we made the distinction in one of the discussions I had with Bree, who did the interviews about the distinct, uh, the distinction between being alone and being lonely. Yeah. You can be lonely in the middle of a crowd of, of, uh, colleagues and you can be alone and, and not be lonely at all. So an appreciation for that, that sort of connection, I think is, is, uh, is really important. Um, and even though some people may not want to do it for quite some time, I think we really need to see uh, an extension of the availability of working from home, um, where a job um, supports that. Because I, I've seen several organizations who were dead set against it, have to do it now, and actually their teams are thriving and they can do what's required of them when they're working from home. And again, I'll underline the point, they're doing it really well, despite getting no adjustment time, no training, no preparation, no project plans. It was sort of, boom, now you're working from home. And it can be done. So while it's not a great fit for every job, or even possible with every job, or a great fit for every person, um, I think offering it to people, it, even on a, an occasional basis, will help, um, you know, people deal with stuff that's going on in life. It will allow them to play to their own work style and strengths and gradually, gradually, hopefully, um, erode some of the stigma associated with people when they work from home. Um, and I think if it's more available, then that can only contribute to that in a positive way. Um, I had a point here in our notes about listening to the experts, and I'm, I'm in two minds about <laughs> yeah, this. I'm in two minds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because on the one hand, in the middle of this crisis, there's an awful lot of people telling us like it is and giving advice. And, well, I don't know about you, but I've forgotten to take my daily bleach today. Uh, I must do that once we stop recording. But you know what? It, it, it served to help me just as one individual realized there are some massive firm limits to my understanding of how the world works. And it's really nice to see some amazing experts step up and explain things like epidemiology, explain things like, um, how, you know, goods get from one place to another, explain international law. And, you know, while not everyone is queuing up to listen to them, I'm hopeful that their expertise will be appreciated more and more, um, as we move into the next phase and the phase after that, because I think some of the loud voices are temporary. Um, shall we say. Um, so, yeah, you can't convince an entire nation or continent to start being evidence-based, but I'm hopeful that we can have more of those experts, given a platform at least, so that the science, the um, yeah, expertise, the data can be explained and people can make use of it if they wish. I, I agree with the, I've specially noticed and welcomed the science because the science allows me to make up my mind also. And mm. something I've seen 
and I don't know if it's because of, I don't know, but something I've seen more coming from Spain, maybe because my mother was sending me stuff on WhatsApp, is um, lots of doctors uh, going behind the camera, behind their smartphone, like on in the morning of before they start their shift or whatever, and really taking their time to explain very simply uh, what was going on. And the science behind and really saying to people, look, we are now at this stage. What, when we're talking about this, we mean this. And I've really, really liked that. The fact that uh, we've, well, through Spain mainly, I've seen lots of, um, yeah, lots of doctors explaining what's going on. I think that's brilliant. It facilitated by technology mm. and um, demystifying yes. some stuff. And so many people will benefit from seeing the other side of the fence and what are people actually doing and what does it look like for the people involved i think that would be great for so many jobs and i have to admit over the last couple of years i've had that feedback myself from people who maybe know me but they don't know what i do saying oh i, I listened to the podcast now i know what you <laughs> what you actually do i know what's involved and i think that's very uh, very insightful for people to get an insight into you know the the real world and maybe beyond some of the stereotypes of different roles and different professions. Mm. Have I got uh, have I got time for one more thought, uh, Richard, Please. for listeners? Yes, and, plenty of time. And is this uh, it, this is an, an essay that I came across? Uh, I was reading a book called um, "You Should Talk to Someone," which is a memoir of a psychologist, and in it she was talking about this essay that she'd found or that someone had had recommended which had actually been written by somebody who was expecting a child and then they, uh, they realized they had a child with Down syndrome. And the essay is called Welcome to Holland. And it's all about making the, the, the parallel with imagine you're going to go to Italy. Imagine you've planned your holiday and you're going to go to Italy and you've made all your plans and then you arrive and you're in Holland. So it's completely different that everything looks different. However, there are lots of opportunities that you hadn't thought of. And I thought this was a beautiful thing to be thinking about now because things are not going to go back to how they were. And especially over the next three or five years, I don't know. However, like we've been saying, there's a lot of stuff that we might discover. It's just going to be different and some stuff is not going to be great, but some stuff, there's a lot of opportunity there. So I just wanted to, maybe I'll give you the link. You can share the, the essay with, um, with listeners. For sure. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a, a, an important point for everyone to remember that while the plan may not be what we thought it was going to be, it, it, we're still going, you know, <laughs> we're all, we're all still moving in a direction. So let's maybe look for the opportunities as, as we do that. And I, what struck me in, in reading that was the parallel in organizations with goal setting and organizational plans. Mm. You know, every organization I, I'm working with and have worked with over the last couple of years, they've all had to adjust almost everything. And so those kind of sacred plans and goals have had to change. So, you know, can we not look at things a bit more flexibly as we go forward as well and adapt um, to whatever you want to call it, the new normal, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, the, the way that sometimes these uh, the processes and the goals and the strategy are held up as being these absolute truths, well, they're not anymore. And for some people, that will be quite frightening. But I think, 
you know, reflect what can we take from this and what might you end up doing and how will you be doing it differently and, and what benefits does it bring? Um, just on a very social level, I, I'm not the only person who's mentioned the fact that I'm in touch, close touch with, with people I haven't spoken to in quite some time as a result of this lockdown situation because everyone's hopping on social media and video conferencing to have conversations with people. And those pleasant really enjoyable things wouldn't have happened if we all had time to go out and do things. They would be um, sort of uh, well-intentioned aspirations and we'd never get mm-hmm. round to them. So there, there will be some opportunities. There will be some pleasant things to come out of this. So let, let's keep mindful of those as well as uh, all the challenges and the sadness. It also, though, gives us an opportunity to then say, right, can we be done with some things as well? You know, can we leave some things behind? And um, I think it's not top of my list of points, but it's the very first point I want to make. Um, can we stop talking about unskilled jobs? Because, you know, this year we've seen the people that have kept the country running, at least here in the UK, but I'm conscious it's the same in other places, are professionals whose um, average income, according to the government, class them as being unskilled. And they've risked their lives, they've put the extra hours in, they've gone above and beyond, whether it's delivering food or it's caring for people in hospitals. Um, They're not unskilled. You know, I I really, really hope we can move away from categorizations purely based on salary. Mm. Yeah, it kind of it kind of sticks at the moment. Um, And sort of related to that, I think something that's um, um, maybe given us pause for thought is uh, how much we have, many of us, been kind of racing a lot. We've been sprinting and it's always been how fast can we go, how how much can we get done. And actually this sort of lockdown has enforced slower pace of life. So I would hope that maybe we've all had time to think about what's important and we might make adjustments ourselves as we move into the next phase and adopt maybe a, a more sustainable pace of of working life, of life more generally, and, you know, appreciate the um, uh, the opportunity to smell the roses as we go along. I I, I have a, a not positive story around that though, <laughs> because please do because share. I, I mean this I I agree and I, uh, what happened as well, especially at the beginning when the rush of the knowledge worker to continue and we had this conversation in one of the other podcasts, you know how how we could still be productive as we always have. And the other day I was talking to someone in um, in the other side of the world and they were saying that they worked for a consultancy and none of the deadlines had been moved. They were just expected everything to continue as normal. Um, the, she found herself and her husband just working, well, 12-hour days, blah, blah, etc. And I really hope that maybe, maybe... Um, that happened then because we, you know, because everyone went into a panic and, and, and it's completely understandable and businesses didn't want to lose productivity. But I do hope that in all the things that we were saying before, that we start to see that is there is there a, a way of slowing everything down? But I think the whole world needs to slow down at the same time so that nobody feels that they're uh, falling behind. And, and I really, I, I hope, I do hope that, uh, Richard. I think... Um I think it's the word productivity, actually, that's the problem here. I mean, I think if you look at productivity as just doing lots of stuff and being busy, well, then 
that, you know, that's utterly exhausting. But I think you do have to slow down to see what's important and then focus on that stuff. And that to me is productivity, you know, doing the right things in the right yeah. way at the right time. It doesn't have to be grueling. It needn't be. And if it is, then I might suggest there's a problem with job design or organizational culture or staffing, you know, however you want to put it. But the more, 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 um, culture, I think has sort of come up against an immovable object right now. So it, there's an opportunity maybe to revisit it. It's not going to be for everybody, but, um, it's a personal choice maybe. Um, but I think we have been working in a way that isn't sustainable over the longer term and it's noticeable now because there are very few planes in the sky there are very few trains running there are next to no meetings happening and it's given some people pause for thought about well what do i do when i'm not racing for a plane or i'm not you know in a meeting with 20 other important people um so we'll see we'll see i i, I don't think it's going to be a wholesale change So what do you what do you really want to see the back of Pilar? Um well the there's something that I'd like to see the back of and it is a time tracking software. Uh. <laughs> and luckily I haven't heard firsthand many uh, people saying that this was happening to them, but I did hear especially at the beginning when everyone was rushing uh to to start working from home and then there was an article that I don't think we even need to link to <laughs> Richard because it was an, a journalist who um had uh, he'd probably been offered a free version of a time tracking uh, software. He'd put it into his computer and then he'd ask his boss to to monitor him. So it wasn't like the organization Say no, we're going right, to want to do yeah. so. So, uh, so, so from that point, in the article, but it did highlight that that is still being seen as kind of acceptable and non-challenging stuff to be doing. And so, I hope that because no, very few people had the time to even think of putting time tracking or any kind of <laughs> software that told organizations exactly what employees were doing, and everyone has shown that actually they can be trusted. So I hope that maybe this this experience shows uh, companies that they don't need to micromanage their people when they're away. Mm, absolutely. I don't know how I'd feel if my time was being monitored. Um, I, I wouldn't respond well to it just knowing me. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I think... Uh, Again, the, I'll mention again the needless face-to-face -face meetings. I think meetings for the sake of meetings, it would be great to see the back of those because they're um, inconvenient. They're not um, a great use of time. And um, if we think about the next couple of years, they're going to risk bringing people together that don't really need to be brought physically together. Um, and whether we call it social distancing or not, they're kind of needless meetings. They, they don't really <laughs> need to happen. Um, and I think inflexibility over how work is done, you know, where there is actually flexibility. And we're talking about manager preference. I think, as you've just said, people have demonstrated left, right and center that there are other ways of doing things and getting to the same end point. So maybe rather than trying to measure people's time, we look at outputs. <laughs> maybe, maybe we've been saying that for the last 20 years, mm. but you know, if we focus on quality outputs and match that with good job design, you can see people who are using their skills and delivering what an organization needs, but maybe not to a strict, you know, um, use of time per day, per week, whatever. We're not machines, you know, and, um, it's not all about time. There are other things that are important too. 
And I can see you made a note about time here as well. <laughs> it's important. Uh, people owe owing others time. Yes, I was just deleting it because it's another downer. <laughs> But these are the things we want to see the back of. Absolutely, well, this is something, it's, it's awful. This is some, actually something that that happened during the 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 pandemic that actually maybe wasn't there before. But I hope that we see the back of it because I'm also a bit worried about stuff that's not great sticking. Um, and uh, I had a friend of mine saying, "Yeah, it's great. My my uh, my boss has uh, uh, set up meetings at eight thirty every morning." Whereas maybe normally they'd go, they start work at nine and also someone else who, you know, receiving an email at five o'clock at night and then say, oh, are you up for a meeting uh, tomorrow at 10? And, and this is like a couple of hours of, of, um, of notice. And I think that was coming from the fact that uh, because you are at home, you're available. Yep. And hopefully more than that, you know, uh, this, these are anecdotes, uh, but hopefully the we'll know that actually it's just because we're not we're not visibly doing the work it doesn't mean we're available it's, it comes back to the flexibility question really and just consideration i mean i i also put that down to thoughtfulness for other people yes um and you know what needs to happen at 10 o'clock tomorrow <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know, is it a meeting of the Security Council or are you looking at that budget again? <laughs> so, you know, it's it's needless meetings, but it's also having a bit of uh, thought for people and their um, their agendas and their availability and their working style. And it might be absolutely fine for someone to hear about it at that time because they're still working then because they started later. But if we're expecting people to work you know, 8.30 till 5.30 and keep an eye on their email all evening just in case someone wants to call a 9am yeah. Zoom meeting the next day. Well, that's definitely not going to be beneficial for anyone uh, over the long term. So yeah, a bit more thought over um, other people's time, um, availability, working patterns. And you know what? You get to know that by making human connection with people. You know, so maybe emphasizing relationships can help us better understand other people's responsibilities and other people's working patterns. So quite a few things we don't like the look of or the sound of, but you know what? We, we could probably have a whole other episode about things we don't like about work. But <laughs> I think to turn that around, it's maybe to say, well, look, there's lots of things in every organization that people aren't too keen on. Were any of them so sacred they're they're not up for discussion at this point ha have any of them slipped from that sacred place um are people still holding certain rules and processes up as being absolute and is there is there no opportunity to even pilot something else i mean we've discussed before pilar about piloting ways of working to demonstrate their impact this is a massive study going on at the moment unplanned but with uh, you know so many people working from home why not learn from this and why not make future um, iterative changes in a more planned way, piloting and evaluating the impact to have a more data-driven discussion about what works rather than I like it, I don't like it. I really hope that organizations take the opportunity to slowly go back, not just because of all the physical measures that they're going to need to take, but also so that we can slowly go back and part of that slowing down is about learning uh, unpicking talk about learning we were talking earlier this is a huge mm. learning opportunity experiential so taking the time to really unpick what worked what didn't work and what we want to maintain 
Definitely. And I'd, I'd encourage, you know, anyone with sufficient seniority listening to throw that idea into the mix in their own organization and say, rather than race back into things, let's review, keep the good stuff, bin the other stuff and, and learn from this. And yeah, it's a difficult situation for so many organizations from a commercial perspective and from a, a staffing perspective at the moment. But, you know, the, there's that wonderful learning opportunity to make things even better for people. And you know what? With life being so difficult, if your work uh, role, if your work experience could be improved, wouldn't that be a great thing? Even if the rest of life is a bit tough at the moment. So. Listeners, we'd love to hear from you. What is it that's that's come out of this that you think I'd like to hold on to this? I, I like it, you know. And and when when things move forward, however we want to put it, I want to keep it. And what are the work practices or traditions or things that you've seen pop up in the last few months that you really don't want to continue? We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet us at my pocket psych or you can send us a long message on the contact form at worklifepsych.com slash contact. So Pilar, any final thoughts before we bring this episode to a close? No, I think I have said enough. <laughs> Just slow down. Now we have an opportunity to slow down. That's that's a lovely point to close on. Uh, thank you, Pilar. And everyone out there, I hope you remain safe and well. And thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.